0: Hi and welcome to this special episode of Forest for the Future where we're warming up to the FSC General Assembly that takes place on Bali, Indonesia, October 9th to 14th. This is the second episode of three where we're diving deeper into the theme of the FSC General Assembly which is all about shaping solutions for resilient forests. Today we will talk about the role of people as we transform forest solutions together More specifically, the roles and rights of Indigenous people, communities, family forest owners and workers. I have invited a panel of guests to enlighten me on this topic. You will be hearing from four different voices on this podcast. Anand Pundia, Chief Engagement and Partnership Officer at FSC International. Vera Santos, Program Manager for Community and Family Forests in FSC. Rolita, who is a workers' rights expert an FSC member and a union representative in Indonesia. And finally, Anas Bloom, who sits on the board of the FSC Indigenous Foundation, is a representative of the Sámi people and a member of FSC. But before we dive too deep into the topic of people and rights, we need to start first with defining what is a resilient forest. I will let Anand explain.
1: Traditionally, a resilient forest is something that has been seen as, as being ecologically resilient, resilient for the climate, resilient from a biodiversity perspective, resilient for watershed management, very much seen from an ecological perspective. What we would like to move it towards from an FSC perspective in particular is to think about resilience, more societal resilience, what forests give and bring and from a resilience perspective to broader society. So not just the ecological, but also to people and to the people who live in and around the forests first and foremost, and rely on the forests for resilient livelihoods. In in many different ways, there isn't a, a one size fits all. They all have different roles to play. And much of that is their connection to that, a forest, to the forest that is kind of physically how they are connected to that whether it's through their ancestors their spirits whether it's through it's what provides them their their work Uh, whether it's through recreation it's what provides them the recreational well-being or whether it's through a family it provides them with an income every so often to perhaps meet the financial needs of a big event family event or something like that but they all have a role to play as a steward and That's something that we should celebrate as well. And it's these stewards, I think, that we really want to celebrate as part of the people who build resilience into a forest. Every society can benefit from stronger, resilient forests.
0: Mm. Rulita, I'd actually like to bring you in here as a workers' rights representative because From where I sit, we are seeing social aspects becoming increasingly important for companies. And a lot of companies are expanding the scope of sustainability and responsibility for them as a business from just being very much focused on environmental rights to also really encompassing social rights. We're also seeing consumers care more about social rights actually on the same level as they do care about environmental due diligence. Are you also with in FSC, are you seeing a shift
2: in the role and the perceived importance of workers and their rights? Yes, Loa. and uh, There are more than 200 million organized workers globally. And it is to be understood that they do have multifaceted roles. Uh, so the first roles that they have is that they're involved in the production stream from source to end and uh, so that they know inside out what's happening in the company and the second role is that they also live in the area adjacent to the forest or even in the forest themselves and so they make up part of the local communities that uh, are also affected by um, the management unit or the forestry companies and the third is that we sometimes uh, overlook that workers are also consumers of the forest-based products and from construction materials to furniture household daily groceries Children, school books, etc. And I think the fourth one, which is also quite um, important to understand, is that uh, workers or trade unions are legally industrial partners of companies or businesses. So they are also part of the rights holders, which, if we refer to the recently adopted uh, policy to address conversions and the remedy framework. So these are the multifaceted roles that workers have. And we also know that since about two or three decades ago, companies have been trying to frame sustainable business management. We also need to bear in mind is that many neglected social aspects. As what you're mm-hmm. saying, they were very much more focused on the environmental issues rather than social aspects. Or if they only use social aspects as PR or public relation ploys, where, in fact, not much have been done either to improve livelihood or the communities. So one of the easier tools to identify whether companies are genuinely addressing social aspect is if they abide by labor conditions or the legislations and have sound and fair industrial relations in the workplace and provide good, healthy, safe and decent working and living conditions for workers and their families. So if those are not met, we doubt that they actually also do good for the communities. And those Mm -hmm. provisions, uh, actually, we already found in the FSC forest management principles and criterias, and those have been gradually improved in the past 10, 15 years. And this has also been due to a more active and proactive roles of workers' representatives in FSC. Up to 10 years ago, there were less than a handful of workers' unions joining FSC as members, but nowadays... There are more than 40 organizational uh, members representing uh, organized workers in FSC. Workers have been redefined in the FSC system not only as stakeholders but also as rights holders which have particular entitlements in relations to specific duty bearers and we see this as a shift in the roles and perceived importance of workers and their rights in the FSC.
0: Mm. So You're referring to a lot of the improvements, but do you think that FSC is actually playing a vital role in the protection of human rights? Are we making any difference on the ground in this respect?
2: Yes, Uh, actually, first of all, FSC may have already a robust standard with provisions toward decent working conditions and labor rights. But the question is, how can we make sure that those are actually implemented by certificate holders or management units? And we, because we have witnessed some years ago that, for example, in the forestry company, they only provided new or standardized personal protective equipments to workers as part of the occupational health and safety requirements only days before the auditors come to visit or check the site. This has been, I mean, quite uh, many occurrences that uh, we've also been observing in the workplace. Uh, so the questions, how can we make the workers aware of their rights? if no access is granted by companies to treat unions to talk and visit workers on the worksite. So this is the background where Motion 50 on uh, the rights of access to workers and Motion 51 on the rights of workers to elect their own occupational health and safety representatives have been submitted to the upcoming GA and called for FSM member support and approval. So those motions so Motion 50 and 51 are the enabling tools that FSE core labor requirements and the criterias in the principle two of the forest management and also the provisions of the occupational health and safety requirements in the chain of custody and controlled wood are genuinely implemented. And I'm confident that with the situational background that I've just presented with those having those in mind, the FSE members will support and vote for them. And this is a way where FSE can play a vital role in helping to ensure that workers' rights are being protected around the globe.
0: Mm-hmm. Vera, I'd actually like to move over to you because you are the program manager for community and family forests. And, and when we talk about family forest owners, they're not becoming part of FSC to the same extent as as workers and unions to have their human rights safeguarded, right? I mean, their benefit from joining FSCs is a slightly different one. What did they gain from it?
3: And you are right, uh, uh, Loa. So the family forest owners can have additional benefits from joining FSE. Although we can observe a, a growing trend in the world wild, not only from private companies, but also from governments giving back the land, acknowledging their legal and customary rights, these constituents so. Indigenous peoples, communities, family forest owners, they own and manage a very significant proportion of our world's forests. And with that, with this giving back to their, or a, a growing acknowledge of their rights, this offers FSC an opportunity because we are a market-driven system. We focus on uh, promoting responsible forest management with a, a specific set of requirements. And we assume that there are different types of benefits for joining certification. Family forests, communities, because of their settings, their specific challenge that they face towards uh, forest certification, they don't have that ability to come so quickly as we would like them to to join us in terms of uh, uh, members or certificate holders or benefiting from forest certification systems. FSE has for a long time uh, an interesting policy solution, very suitable for these cases, The, the group certification that has two dimensions that are very important for these constituents. It allows them to reflect the share in terms of roles and responsibilities on a better way, acknowledging their traditional government systems, but in a way that is transparent for them, that has an organizational structure behind and allow them to be sustainable over time. It also allows for the uh, economy of scale, so to to collectively come to forest certification, and on top of that, it's usually lit, led by a community leader, traditional, or someone that has a more technical savviness to, to help their neighbors, to have help other community members, to have an entrepreneurship approach, and to have a, a better access to markets that do value sustainability, that do require sustainability... And this is something that is not quick to address. So FSE has been working for quite some time on this. We are confident that we are now in the right position to be more relevant for these constituents by the the different uh, policy solutions and market and business related tools that we currently offer.
0: Mm. And you're mentioning that it's a slow process and... If we look at our global strategic plan, we have quite ambitious goals for how fast and how much we want to grow within the family and community forests. What is it, a tripling maybe <laughs> of, of compared to what it is today? I, I think you know the numbers better than me. What is our goal more specifically?
3: Our goal is to double the area that we had in the beginning of our strategic period. Okay. Nevertheless, I would not call it ambition. I would call it aspirational. And I think it does reflect the, the growing importance that indigenous peoples, communities, family forest owners have for FSC family as a whole. It's acknowledged by the governments. It's acknowledged by the private companies. And as Anand was mentioning about what was a resilient forest, people are crucial. And having such a clear aspirational goal, I think it's a clear sign for all of our members to the focus FSE has for these constituents. Mm -hmm.
0: But is it possible to combine resilient forests with increased access to market and
3: therefore increased sales? Definitely. It will not happen in the five years strategic period, but it's the only way that the world, society in general, will be able to see changes happening on a way that will help us be sustainable for many more millions of years.
0: And I said, actually then like to bring you in because Vera keeps referring to indigenous people and all of the solutions and traditions that indigenous peoples have from centuries, are you seeing this same shift that Vera is talking about in, in the involvement and in, in the respect around indigenous people, both around the globe and within the FSC system?
4: Yes, uh, many indigenous people live and work in the forests around the globe. Uh, they consist of some people, peoples, and, uh, which is equal to about 6% of, of the world's population. But to your question, am I seeing a shift I have to say both yes and and no, but before I do that, uh, I need to elaborate a bit about our main challenges. And the first one is is the climate change. The French author and philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre once said, nature speaks and experience translates. I would say that indigenous peoples translate the voice of the nature through their very long experience. There is a beginning interest to listen to that voice. But it might be a bit late uh, in my part of of the world in Satmi. And we are living in the the Arctic, which is regarded as a canary bird of climate change. In in our part of the Satmi, we see a culture that is on the edge of of being erased due to climate change. Uh, The traditional reindeer, husbandry are now suffering every year from... uh, change climate conditions a lot of snow a lot of rain frozen ground on the, that prohibit the reindeer from feeding and and if nothing happens very quickly i'm afraid that the reindeer herding culture could be dead in a generation so sure. another other challenge that we do have is question uh, rights i mean indigenous people's rights are crucial for the, the respect but let us remind ourselves that only in 2021, 33 indigenous people's leaders were killed in South America alone. And there is a constant threat to indigenous people and indigenous people's organization worldwide. So the third challenge that we have to handle is the loss of biodiversity and hence the loss of traditional ecosystem services. Unfortunately, the forest also contributes to, to this loss of biodiversity so back to your question do i see a shift well i would say if if you start with the positive side fsc is a good example we have uh, by integrating principle 3 in our standard showed that we would like to be market leading when it comes to the respect of indigenous people and we have also strengthened that that uh, ambition uh, with the implementation of pipc the permanent indigenous peoples committee which is a permanent Body to the main board in order to give advice to the board in, in, in their decision concerning Indigenous people. But we have also established the, the FSA Indigenous Foundation in Panama, where we try to work more proactively with Indigenous people in the forest, but not only in the forest, because Indigenous people, they live in a in a Indigenous cultural landscape. And in that landscape, you have forest, but you have also other factors that is important for their daily living. And we have to see ourselves in a landscape perspective when we work with indigenous people that is uh, positive but unfortunately FSC is quite alone as a market-driven instrument being as clear in in their ambition to support indigenous people another positive thing is uh, cop26 which actually emphasized the need to listen to to the voice of the nature through indigenous people but so far it has been very much the confession of the lips We haven't seen much Mm -hmm. results of that. If we go on the negative side, governments uh, are not true to their promises in the Paris Agreement. Very few are actually living up to that ambition. Uh, We are just now here in Sweden having an election, a general election. I note that none of the parties are talking about climate change. And this goes not only for Sweden. I see that worldwide. The governments uh, and, and the leading politicians don't really have the guts to discuss those issues. When they are not taking the responsibility, then we see destructions of indigenous people's culture that, that is going on as we speak. International law and national law is not enough to protect the rights. I mean, we have it in, in, in wording very clearly that everyone who has ratified or, or signed those international law conventions and declarations should protect indigenous people's rights, but the implementation of that is not, uh, very impressive, to to say the least. So uh, FSC has a big responsibility to become a role model for other market-driven mechanisms. I would say so far, we are a bit of a global standard when it comes to these issues.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you would like to see FSC do more, or anything that FSC could do to push this towards being a more general movement, and not just something that we're solely pioneering?
4: Yes, in one area, and, and I believe that Vera is also involved in that, is the implementation of FPIC, free by prior and informed consent. We are quite specific in, in, in principle three that, that no forestry can go on in, in indigenous cultural landscape without the FPIC of those living in that landscape. But we are still a bit vague on how to implement that. We have our our guidance, and I I have also been a part of of the editing and or the committee to have developed those guidance, but those are not mandatory documents. Those are just recommendations. Just now, there is an ongoing project in, in, in Sweden, Canada, Chile, and, and the Congo Basin area where we are going to look into the possibility on or, or compare the, the experiences of the implementation of FPIC in those countries. This would be very important because FPIC is, is a key to most of international law. We should be in front of that, but not only in relation to, to certified forestry. We must also uh, uh, use that concept inside our own organization and always remember that, that FPIC goes both ways. It goes for, for, uh, also in, into our own organization, how we make our own decisions within FSE.
0: Mm-hmm. So is there anything in particular that you're hoping to see from the upcoming General Assembly as a result? when you look at it from the perspective of indigenous peoples?
4: Well, I hope that we can see a continuous great support for indigenous people and their rights in the in the assembly, that we get got the membership support. I remember when we had the motion 19 about PIPC in 2011, I think it was a majority of all members who stood up and said, we support this. We support the need of, of lift up indigenous people and their rights in our system. And we see that there is a need for, for the, the governance structure, the board to have proper advice from indigenous people in, in the daily operations. And, and I was proud at that time. And I, over the membership of FSC, and I hope that I can be proud of the General Assembly as well at this time. It's a great organization that we should be proud of. But in order to be even better, we need to be better to listen when nature speaks and to those who, based on experience, can translate that voice into wisdom. And I would like to quote the poet T.S. Eliot, who said that, where is the knowledge we have lost in information, and where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge?
0: That's a very profound quote. I can't help but wonder when I hear these things, Honors, what would you like to see us do differently than what we do today? I know it's a tough question.
4: I think we should be better in implementing. Yeah, we have a great standard. we have a great framework, but the implementing part is not always great, and it's quite sometimes quite slow. We are now implementing Fpic, and I really will see that we do that in a proper way, but sometimes FSE is a very big organization, it's quite bureaucratic, it's quite uh, complicated, sometimes a long way between. Actions on the field and and a general assembly talking about criteria and principles.
1: Can I add to that? This is something that Vera and I have a conversation quite regularly about. I I, I, I very much hear and unders when he says that. And I think in our journey as FSC, as a kind of organizational system, whichever you see it as, I think. We are at that point, and I hope you see the signs of that, the early signs of that Under's as well. I think as as FSC, we are now wanting and have the confidence to and have the skills and capabilities also and capacity to support implementation and enable implementation better. I think historically what we've done is we've kind of focused on the development and left the market to implement. And it's clear that that hasn't really worked as effectively as it can. And part of that is is our own confidence and the way we do things. And we've kind of tried to separate our role and the market's role. However, I think they're starting to come closer together. And we're starting to see people in the organization that can bridge and connect those two worlds, the development world and the implementation world, and also now start to feed as Unders mentioned with the FPIC project, for instance. Now, what are we learning on the ground through the implementation of it? And how can we then feed that back in to improvements of the conceptual requirements? We don't do it systematically, I would say, just yet. But I think we're starting to see the signs of that in different projects or different areas of our work. I hope to play a a key role to, to continue bridging those gaps as well.
3: And if I can continue what I on Anand's uh, last statements, a very important component or part of the program is now focused on what we call the pre-certification phase. So exactly making space, creating room together with the users on the ground, and many of our users are indigenous peoples, community members, family forests. To, to empower them to be self-determined on the, the process to move forward the responsible forest management. Anders mentioned very important mosaic on their territories because it's not only forests. Our tools now have created that space. They are not yet perfect, but there's a willingness from FSC as an organisation to start uh, uh, creating those avenues to make really an implementation support efforts and to to learn and hear the voices from Mother Nature through our indigenous uh, representatives. I think we are now in that position. It's not perfect. It will not be perfect in the next years, but th- there's, that willingness exists in the organization, in FSC.
2: Also to build on what, what Anand has presented, resilient forests needs a resilient society and sustainable decent work leads to a sustainable forestry. In the past, we've seen that companies or businesses were using the framework of sustainable forest management only as a PR ploy. And we see that it's not a sustainable work after all, but it's more leading towards a sustainable poverty. And this is something that especially workers do not want to continue with and our roles is also of utmost importance to make changes within the FSC system and organizations that more and more people are becoming aware that workers and also the local communities, Indigenous peoples to have an important role playing in ensuring the concepts or you know the definitions of a resilient forest. So this is where the need of a resilient society at all
4: also add, when we are talking about resilience we can do that in, in the perspective of, of the climate change and, and see we are now into the face of the world where everyone is asking for a, a green change a green economy and doing so, we are also creating new problems. So in the name of our green economy, in my parts of the world, we see a lot of what we call green colonialism, which means that those who have been suffering from the effect of the climate change, they are also now suffering from the effects of, of, of the mitigation measures through the green change and the green economy. So we are opening mines. we are starting energy production, windmill farms, on sensible areas where indigenous people are living and make them victims in in a double sense, victim of the climate change, but also victim of of the mitigation measures. That is not resilience, even if we are talking that this green change is an an example of a a resilient way of solving the problems. So words can have a a dubious meaning.
0: Mm -hmm. And I guess that that comes back to what Rita said, that if we don't have decent work rights and rights for indigenous peoples we cannot have a resilient and sustainable world true
1: what we'll have is a resentful and divisive world and society not a resilient and empathic working together society
0: and then i'd like to end this conversation on people and the rights of peoples from different perspective with you with one last question, because you are are the organizer of a key session at the General Assembly, which focuses on the role of people in in scaling up uh, solutions and creating resilient forests. What are you hoping for audience that participates in that day to take away from the session?
1: I guess the way I've been trying to organize the day is to really set it up in a way to inspire with kind of pride, joy, celebration in some ways that if you move to a more inclusive approach of working with different forest stewards, then everyone can be part of the solution. We don't have to fight for a different solution. We can all bring something to a broader solution and that everyone has a, a role to play there. And to make people feel proud of that. But the other thing I think is for the audience, what I'd like them to take away is the audience and maybe the wider audience here as well is a sense of empathy. And I want people to go away with a better understanding of the challenges and opportunities and the the love, the spirit, the tangibles and the intangibles, the skills, the capabilities that different stewards bring to a solution. And that by Mm. accepting that and by encouraging that, people can work together to be part of that solution.
0: That's it. With this, I would like to thank our four guests today. All of them will be present during the FSC General Assembly in person. If you want to learn more about this topic and engage in the debate, I strongly encourage you to register for our General Assembly and participate either in person or virtually. You can see much more on that and register at ga.fsc.org. That was ga.fsc.org. As mentioned in the beginning, this was the second of three episodes. In the next episode, we will be diving into how we can demonstrate the value that forests can give as we work as a global community to deliver on the Sustainable Development Goals. So stay tuned to learn much more about the event and the important topics to be discussed and found solutions for there. And if you don't yet know why you should participate in the event virtually or in person, here's a testimony from FSC member IKEA, represented by Mikhail Taralov as to why it's important to engage.
4: General Assembly has always been a culmination, the best of FSC, bringing together people and organizations from all sorts of backgrounds to discuss, argue, disagree, find compromises and in co-create solutions. This democratic process happening in an open, respectful atmosphere is what makes FSC unique and brings it to life. The realities the world is facing today make FSC to adapt its ways of working, distribute the work across the cycle between the GAs and allow hybrid participation. And I really hope that the energy and drive inherent to GAs will remain. I'm looking forward to joining the upcoming GA in October.
0: This episode was brought to you by our top General Assembly sponsors SIG and AROCO. A sincere thank you from FSC for the support in making this important democratic event happen. Remember to subscribe to the podcast series Forest for the Future if you want to get notified of new episodes. You can also always get in touch with me on podcast at fsc.org. I am Laura Worm, and this was Forest for the Future.